everyone. I am Kara Akabak, and this is the Sausage of Science. Uh, I think Chris may or may not be joining me today. I'm unsure. And of course, I forgot my phone at home, so I cannot text him. Uh, so I'm going to get started. Today, we have Dr. Monica Keith, who is a postdoctoral scholar in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Washington. Uh, she is an anthropologist and data scientist who studies biocultural variation in longitudinal health and child growth. Uh, she uses Bayesian models to assess predictors of growth and health outcomes, and her research integrates health, socioecological, and genetic data to study human biological variation in diverse contexts. Uh, Monica currently works with three ongoing fields, researching health, growth, and biodemography in rural and indigenous populations. She's also currently working with intergenerational data from the COVID-19 and infant feeding study, as well as the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development to address maternal, infant health, and disparities and U.S. pregnancy outcomes. So I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Hello. Hello, Monica. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm Kara. I'm not sure we've ever had a chance to meet in person. You know, we met way back when I was in grad school at Mizzou, and you okay. came to give a very fabulous talk that I still remember very well. Um, Libby Kogel. Okay. Yeah. yeah because Libby yeah. invited me. All right. For a moment, for some reason, when you said Mizzou, I was thinking UMSL. I'm like, I have never given a talk at UMSL. What is she talking about? Uh, but that's really exciting. Oh, hooray. Uh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed the talk. I have zero memory of that either of what I even <laughs> talked about. I do know I was there. <laughs> It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a bit. It's been a bit. Anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the Sausages of Science today. Welcome. So let's do it. We start the show kind of the exact same way every single time, and that's getting to know a little bit about you and how you got into anthropology and data science, because you have a foot in both camps, which is fantastic. Uh, so tell us how you got into that and then why you decided to pursue it as a career. Sure. So... I actually knew that I wanted to study anthropology from a really young age, and I actually committed to the major straight out of high school. That's um, super unusual. Yes, so yes, that's the reaction I get. Let's, let's pause you before we even get to like the college part. How did you even come to learn about anthropology prior to high school? Like, I had no concept of the field until college. It's really that I grew up in a very multicultural household that really sparked my interest. Um, I'm biracial. My father is from Bangladesh and my mother is from rural Illinois. And then I grew up in Texas. So I grew up with a lot of exposure to really diverse perspectives mm -hmm. that sparked my curiosity in learning more about other cultures and epistemologies in a formalized way. Mm -hmm. um, and I've also always been an analytical science oriented person and was interested in doing health research from a pretty young age also. Hmm. So biological anthropology seemed like a space to explore health oriented research in unique and interesting ways. And my research interests are also personal. Um, mm. So my dad grew up during a time of civil war and famine in Bangladesh. And I've always had a really acute awareness that social and environmental circumstances impact health in complex ways. So I'm involved with several research projects now in different parts of the world. And I serve as a data scientist and analyst in many of my collaborations, but I approach 
every research project from a biosocial perspective, thinking about localized health contexts and really um, the confluence of environmental, social, structural, and individual factors. Um, so I've been collaborating on a longitudinal health project in Bangladesh for five years or so now, mm. working with Katie Starkweather and mm -hmm. some of her really excellent data. Um, and we've done several analyses on child growth and household nutrition in a Bangladeshi fishing community called the Shodabor. Mm -hmm. um, we actually have a paper in press at AJHB right now on the economic and nutritional impacts of severe climate-induced flooding in that Shodabor community. We, we interviewed Katie not terribly long ago. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes, fantastic. Um, yeah, so getting to collaborate on that research kind of keeps me feeling connected um, mm -hmm. to, to some of my roots in, in Bangladesh there. Um, and then my newest area of research is in reproductive and maternal health in the US. And that also feels a bit personal in a lot of ways, you know, and we're doing so poorly mm -hmm. in maternal health here relative yeah. to our economic standing and development. And it's getting worse as well. It is getting worse in the US. Everyone else is kind of trending in an improving direction and we are, are declining in maternal health, unfortunately. And that has intergenerational impacts as well. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely a lot of work that needs to be done in yeah. this area. And so where did you go to undergrad and grad school? Fill us in on, on, on that. So I did my bachelor's in anthropology uh, and minored in biology at Texas State University mm -hmm. down in mm -hmm. San Marcos, Texas. Um, and then I did my PhD at the University of Missouri, uh, have postdoced with Melanie Martin at the University mm -hmm. of Washington for the past two years. And now I am starting uh, as an assistant professor at Vanderbilt this year. So. Congratulations. I didn't know that. So that was totally not in my uh, like little intro that you didn't hear because you weren't here. Uh, but so assistant professor at Vanderbilt, congratulations. That's an absolutely fantastic place to be. And you get to hang out with Jada and Gabby. Thank and those you. are awesome humans. Uh, so you sent us a paper that you said was in response to a new model or I should say, you sent us a paper about a new model that was in response to the decoding maternal morbidity data challenge. What in the world was this challenge? Uh, and why did you decide to take up said challenge? Yes, so the decoding maternal morbidity data challenge was set forth by the NIH National Institute of Child Health and Human Development last year, summer 2021. Um, and this was a call to researchers of any background across the country to do some secondary data analysis with the goal of identifying risk factors for maternal morbidity in the US using a specific data set. Um, so it was really a data science challenge to develop innovative computational modeling solutions to address maternal morbidity. And then special consideration was given to modeling solutions that specifically addressed disparities in maternal morbidity. So I was working with Melanie Martin when this data challenge was announced, and we decided to enter with a specific hypothesis to test. Hmm. So we posit that racialized and ethnic disparities in maternal morbidities in the US are rooted in social and structural inequalities. And we hypothesized 
that markers of allostatic load and chronic stress could causally link upstream social determinants of health with downstream morbidity outcomes. Mm -hmm. So that's the basis of our model. Um, and I developed a structural equation model for this. And we did end up winning two awards for our computational solution. Thank you. Um, so, so ours are those, was, yeah, you said, so it's a one of seven winners and that's for the challenge. And then are the two yes. awards like the grants separate from that challenge or like, yeah, how does this award system work? Yeah, it's a really interesting kind of setup. This this data challenge format is something new um, that, that NIH has been trying where they put the call out to, to get researchers to work on a problem. And instead of, you know, applying for grant money on the front end and then using that to, for effort to do the work, this is award money on the back end after you've mm. already done the work in hopes that you're going to expand upon what you've done and to sort of, you know, compensate what they think are, are you know, promising computational solutions that, that might be, um, you know, helpful um, in these spaces. So, so we won two awards from this challenge. One of them was an award for computational innovation. So we were one of seven solutions that was awarded for computational innovation. And then we were one of five solutions that won an additional prize for specifically hmm. addressing disparities in maternal morbidity. Ah, very cool. And so, and this wasn't a question, but what do you plan to do with those awards? And what is the, the next step with this? Melanie and I are continuing to collaborate in this research area where um, working actually on a new analysis with the same data set and, mm -hmm. and just really trying to, to do as much secondary data analysis as we can. And um, the award money is helping us to publish, hopefully open access in journals, mm -hmm. cover some publishing costs, um, travel expenses for conferencing, presenting, that sort of thing. Very cool. All right, so now let's dig down into this model. So first, because we get a lot of like younger career folks and grad students who might not be familiar with certain things, what is structural equation modeling? And mm. then tell us about your specific model. So take us from the general to the specific. Sure. So structural equation modeling combines a factor analysis, so multivariate factor analysis, where you're constructing latent variables out of, um, you know, metrics that you have measured that you think are probably imperfectly capturing some dimension that you're hoping to model. So in our case, we're modeling social determinants of health with latent constructs. Um, and I can talk more specifically about what that looked like in our model in a minute here. So, so structural equation models are pairing that latent factor construct, which does some important computational things, accounting for measurement error in you know, your variables, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Linking latent constructs in a causal pathway modeling framework. And what structural equation models are really testing is how well the pathways in the model you've defined, how well that fits the data that you have you know, observed in your data set. And if the fit between the model you've defined is you know, not a good fit with the patterns in your actual data, you simply won't have a usable model. Your fit statistics will be really poor and your hypothesis for the pathways you've proposed um, 
you know, isn't supported by the data. So it's a really kind of robust pathway framework um, for linking mm. mm -hmm. latent constructs with observed variables. All right, very cool. So now give us the specifics of how you use this tool with uh, sure. maternal health. So I'll talk a, a little about the data set, I think, um, that we had to use. Um, yeah. So everyone who participated in, in this data challenge analyzed this specific data set from the Nuliparous Pregnancy Outcome Study. So the data set, it's called New Moms to Be. This was a prospective cohort study initiated by the Pregnancy and Perinatology Branch of NICHD. They enrolled about 10,000 first-time mothers across eight different clinical sites throughout the U.S. between 2010 and 2013. So this sample included nuliparous pregnant women intending to give birth in one of these eight study clinics. Um, women were invited to participate, enrolled in the study during their first trimester, and then they had three subsequent follow-up study visits in their second mm -hmm. and third trimesters and at delivery. And the idea was to collect really robust data on first-time moms who had little to no pregnancy history to inform their maternal health risks or pregnancy outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, so they collected a really wide variety of survey, interview, and clinical data. And the most common maternal morbidities in this sample were hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. So that includes um, different severities of gestational hypertension and preeclampsia. So those were the morbidities that we focused on in our model. Um, and just to give you a sense of this descriptive statistics and disparities mm -hmm. here, 32% of non-Hispanic Black mothers-to-be developed a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy. Wow. Um, in this sample. And that percentage, yes, it's very high. Yeah. Um, and that percentage is 23% for non-Hispanic white women and 19% for women in other minoritized groups. Um, and the racialized disparities increase with the, with the severity level of um, specific hypertensive outcomes. Mm -hmm. So those are the outcomes in the model. And then the predictors in our model included several dimensions of social determinants of health and three markers of allostatic load. So like I said, so structural equation models include latent factor constructs, and we had four different social determinant latent factors in our model. One for socio-demographic variables or what we call the social environment that was indexed by metrics like household income, educational attainment, partner status, that sort of thing. And then we had three behavioral constructs for um, diet, exercise, and smoking variables that mm -hmm. also went into that social determinant part of the model. And then we had three allostatic load markers in this data set. Those were um, systolic blood pressure, diastolic blood pressure, and gestational weight gain. So those are just a, a few of the known allostatic biomarkers capturing some embodied dimension of stress. Um, and pregnancy is its own physiological stressor, a really mm -hmm. extreme stressor on the body. And we had these clinical measures from four gestational time points mm -hmm. for each person. So we modeled individual trajectories in those allostatic markers and extracted mm -hmm. each person's baseline intercept and gestational slope to incorporate into the model. 
So you could imagine, for example, that your baseline blood pressure level early in pregnancy might impact your hypertensive risk differently from the slope of your blood pressure changing across gestation and blood pressure does rise across gestation mm -hmm. for really everyone to some extent. Mm -hmm. All right. So we should also go back and say that the, the title of this paper uh, is racialized ethnic disparities and pathways uh, linking social determinants of health markers of allostatic load and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy among, you said it so differently. I say nulliparous and you say nulliparous, which is interesting, U.S. women. So I've learned something today. And so that's really cool. And you, you talked us through kind of the data. So now link it together for us. Uh, what social determinants of health lead to what changes in what biomarkers? And then how does that then lead to differential pregnancy outcomes? We modeled pathways. So I'll, I'll try to describe kind of the pathways in the model um, and try to give you kind of a, a visual for, for what the model looks like. So we modeled pathways going from the social environment construct directly to those allostatic marker intercepts and slopes, as well as pathways from the social environment to the diet, exercise, and smoking behavioral constructs, and then to the allostatic markers. And then the subsequent pathways in the model are from the, the allostatic marker trajectories to five different levels of hypertensive pregnancy outcomes. Um, and those are superimposed preeclampsia, severe preeclampsia, mild preeclampsia, new onset antepartum hypertension, and new onset intra or postpartum hypertension. And another important aspect of our hypothesis was that hypertensive risk pathways might vary among racialized and ethnic groups because of sociostructural inequalities and different experiences with the social environment. So we ran this structural equation model in a multi-group framework for three groups, non-Hispanic Black, non-Hispanic White, and other minoritized women. So that gives us group-specific pathway coefficient estimates. Now, the collapsed grouping of other minoritized women is definitely mm -hmm. a limitation of this model, but we did not have the sample sizes mm -hmm. to break this down any further. And you really do need a lot of data to fit yeah. complex structural equation models like this. Um, sure. so, so the pathway coefficients from this model show that systolic blood pressure early in pregnancy is the most predictive blood pressure metric for hypertensive mm. disorders of pregnancy out of the ones that we were able to model. And then the slope of gestational weight gain is especially predictive among Black women in this sample for hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. We're really conditioned to think primarily about diet, exercise, mm -hmm. individual behaviors when we think about weight. And that's why the front end of this model is so important. So our coefficient estimates show that pathways going directly from the social environment to those allostatic markers are larger and more impactful than the pathways from diet, exercise, or smoking behavioral constructs. And, and that's such a huge, huge, huge outcome that kind of goes against, I feel like, the standard advice that is given to women who are either pregnant or uh, want to become pregnant of what to focus on. 
Yeah, so the largest standardized path coefficient in the entire model is is the pathway going directly from the social environment factor to gestational weight gain. And that pathway coefficient is much larger for Black women than for any of the other groups. So then, you know, this is a huge, huge, huge result. What would your message be to healthcare providers or social workers or anyone who might be involved in the care of a pregnant individual? So these results are really quantitatively showing that maternal health disparities are primarily driven by social and structural factors beyond the level of the individual Mm -hmm. and and also that embodied stress and allostatic load is a major physiological pathway to maternal morbidity. Um, So this has public health and policy implications and really signals to me that we need a more detailed and comprehensive understanding of environmental and social stressors. Mm. So putting the onus on individuals to mitigate these health outcomes with their own behaviors is not going to cut it. It probably makes it worse. I feel like we already know this as social scientists. Yeah, and then doesn't that also then put the blame on the individual who then feels bad thinking they're at fault for these things that they are not at fault at, which could then compound the issues. Right. So, but then the challenge is, of course, figuring out, you know, actionable, modifiable Mm -hmm. pathways through this and what are we going to do about it? I would really say that this model is currently in pilot form. Mm. Um, So we have some validation here on our hypothesis with markers of allostatic load linking social determinants of health with downstream maternal morbidities and and disparities in those morbidities. And in a technical sense, this structural equation model is validated by very good fit statistics. So we were Mm -hmm. really thrilled um, that this model that we hypothesized really fit the data very well. But there's so much more to do here. So Melanie and I are planning to expand on this model going forward. We're working on a new NIH grant now to do this and partnering with some new clinical collaborators, hoping to apply the model to other data sets, add more social determinant factors into the model, more allostatic load biomarkers into the model. Um, And this is also a modeling framework that could be applied to other kinds of morbidities also. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. So you're moving this forward with more data and more modeling as well. Uh, What else is on your plate? What other projects do you have that you uh, are working on or will be working on soon? I've been working on a different analysis with the same new moms to be data sets. But this analysis is really a reproductive ecology model capturing um, the socioecology of planned versus unplanned pregnancies among the sample of first-time moms in the U.S. So stay tuned for that. I think it's an especially timely analysis given how dramatically reproductive contexts are changing in the Mm -hmm. U.S. But more generally, I'm, I'm really excited to start teaching here at Vanderbilt in the spring. And I haven't mentioned my other primary line of research in the Caribbean, but Mm. um, I'm planning to go back to the field next summer to Dominica and continue the community-based health and genetic work I've also been doing there. So um, I have a lot of projects in the works and a lot of data. I should mention, I will be hiring a postdoc 
I was about to say, are you looking for students? So here's a way. So hiring a postdoc, uh, graduate students? Interested graduate students yeah. should definitely reach out to me and, and we can chat about whether it might be a good fit here. But I'm definitely looking to hire a postdoc soon. I'm hoping to hire someone starting in the 2023-24 academic year. So nice. that's something for all you listeners to keep in mind out there. If you're interested or know someone else who might be, please get in touch. That's really exciting. And now, as we kind of conclude all this and you're looking for students and postdocs, as you are an obvious rock star, what do you do when you're not data sciencing or anthropologizing? Uh, what sorts of fun things do you incorporate in your life? Um, I moved to Nashville with my husband here a couple months ago, so I'm having a lot of fun exploring Nashville <laughs> since we moved. So live music and good food are my top to say, two barbecue and music. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you've got to come to Nashville to visit then. Um, I have been. Oddly, I okay. went for a rugby <laughs> tournament. I played rugby back in grad school, and Nashville was one of the stops. <laughs> ah, all right, yeah. all right. <laughs> The city has definitely grown a lot um, in the past decade yeah. or so. So yeah, I feel like I really hit the jackpot moving here to Music City and the culinary scene is also really great. Um, I'm mm-hmm. married to a pastry chef and oh. we have a lot of fun doing uh, restaurant research around town. That's <laughs> so. exciting. And how fun, a pastry yeah. chef, my goodness. Um, do you listen, read or watch anything fun binging? Um. We're, I mean, we really love food TV. We're very into oh. like Top Chef, Great British okay. Bake Off, of course, all that stuff. Okay. All right. We often ask this yeah. question just because we want recommendations for books, podcasts, or shows. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's really the selfish reason we ask. But anyway, uh, Monica, this has been an absolute delight. And I am so both glad that we met, but also sad that it was so long ago. We will have to, to connect again at some point in person uh, because your work is fascinating and very obviously hugely important for particularly in the context of the United States right now. So thank you for the work that you you. do. And thank you for the time that you took to uh, talk with me today. Any social media that you would like to share where people can follow you or follow your work or website, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I I have a website. I do not have really any social media. (laughs) But um, my my website is monicahkeith.com. You can find more information on my research projects there, PDFs of my papers, um, all that stuff is on there. My contact information, if you wanna reach out and get in touch, email me. Perfect. All right, again, thank you so much. And I look forward to meeting you in person again at some point. Yeah, hopefully, maybe I'll see you in Reno conferencing in the spring. That's the hope. I'm on leave next semester, so I'm I'm not sure Ah. if I actually wanna go. I I want to go, but I'm not sure if I should go. Then we'll see. More and more people are convincing me to go. So, you know, peer pressure. There it is. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Kara. I really appreciate it. Thank you and have a good one. Thanks. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.